On Vancouver Island, for her soul, the last of her kind. She is mighty and bold, but the big blades now are mowing her down. Farewell, farewell to Clackwood Sound. NDP had made a big noise Trying to play the big games with all the big boys So they sold out her soul for hardly a cent The raw timbers cut and elsewhere is sent So blow the bridge down, blow the bridge down In the dead of the night Sink it into the ground For the sake of the soul of backward sound Take a deep breath and blow the bridge down Well, upwards of thousands have stood in the way But police just come and take them each day And the government, too, has its own saws They're changing the charges by changing the law. To blow the bridge down, blow the bridge down In the dead of the night, sink it into the ground For the sake of the soul of Clackwood Sound Take a deep breath and blow the bridge down She stripped to the ground Farewell, farewell to Clackwood Sound So blow the bridge down, blow the bridge down In the dead of the night Sink it into the ground For the sake of the soul of Clackwood Sound Take a deep breath and blow the bridge down Blow the bridge down, blow the bridge down In the dead of the night Sink it into the ground For the sake of the soul off of the compilation album if a tree falls that those were the weird sisters i don't know if they're sisters or not but that song was farewell to clay 
sound. Welcome to Polyrical, a podcast of political music, a soundtrack for the resistance, a topical solution for the political revolution. If you want to want me to hear something that I haven't heard or you haven't heard me play, let me know. You can go to uh, polyrical.com. You can click on the links to send me an email or to submit a request for an artist or a song to play in the future. You can also email me, email me at polyrical at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at polyrical. And this next song is called Pre-War America. I'm not sure exactly what uh, time frame they're talking about because we are just about perpetually at war. If you're age 17 years old or younger, our single longest war has been going on as long as you've been alive or longer than you've been alive. If you're younger than 17, our war in Afghanistan that we're still fighting uh, has been going on for 17 years. Afghanistan is a war that outside forces cannot win. The Soviet Union found that out when they invaded Afghanistan in 1980. Maybe it was slightly before 1980, but it was right around that time frame. Um, and uh, were bogged down there for probably a decade or more uh, before they pulled out. Well, we weren't smart enough to do that, so we are still fighting the war in Afghanistan. I was born during the Vietnam War. There were certainly a few times in my life, my long life, uh, that um, we were relatively at peace, but we never were really at peace. We always, our military has always been involved in wars. When I was 17, our military was at war with um, Nicaragua, funding and supporting the Contra rebels that were trying to overthrow the Sandinista government in Nicaragua who, after they overthrew the dictator Somoza, um, were then elected to serve as the government in that country. And the Contras fought them for many years with our assistance, financial and otherwise. We're also killing kids in Yemen right now. You know, Afghanistan's not the only and maybe not even the worst place where we're involved in war. Right now, we supplied the, the Saudi Arabian government with the bomb and the guidance and intelligence to bomb a busload of Yemeni's children, killing around 40 of them just a week or so ago. So uh, it's been rare, if, if ever, in the modern era where... America has not been in a war, involved in a war, supporting a war, supporting uh, insurgents somewhere around the world, mostly to uh, negative effect for the local residents. Anyway, here are the Beatniks off of their self-titled album. This is Pre-War America. Not the U.S. God will destroy Russia. Pre-War America.
collect your medals now. Because after the next one, there won't be anyone left to give them to you. to our topic of the episode Nicaragua is our topic this episode there's a lot going on there uh, this year um, a lot of violence happening there and the mainstream media is heavily heavily showing or telling one side of that story and uh, not a, a big surprise it's not an unusual circumstance um, that our media will uh, be the voice of the powerful in our government and skew and slant things in support of our government's policies. But here's a, another viewpoint. This is a statement from uh, the Nicaragua Solidarity Campaign Action Group. Um, this was uh, put out in a briefing in July. 
In Nicaragua, for the past three months, there have been widespread protests, which were originally initiated by university students and other sectors. These protests were both against and in support of proposed reforms to the Social Security system, which had included raising the age of retirement and an increase in both employer and employee contributions. In response to the protests, the government quickly withdrew the proposed reforms. However, in spite of this, there has been a continuation of widespread violent acts led by political groups and organizations opposed to the government and now calling for regime change. The situation has in some areas escalated into extreme violence resulting in the tragic deaths of over 200 people. Hundreds have been injured, including members of the national police, students, trade unionists, government employees, business owners, journalists, and citizens who were innocent bystanders. Bystanders. There has also been widespread arson and the deliberate destruction of public buildings, police stations, and private property. Opposition organizations, as a means of pressuring the government to meet their demands for the resignation of President Ortega, have constructed thousands of roadblocks in towns, cities, and on major highways on the Pacific coast. As with the demonstrations, these largely started peacefully, but rapidly descended into opportunities for violence and extortion. Whilst the government is being blamed by the Western media and commentators for the ongoing violence, evidence shows that most of the violence is being perpetrated by armed extreme right-wing protesters, a fact which is being ignored by the Inter-American Human Rights Commission and other international human rights organizations. The situation has placed the security and stability of the country and the Central American region itself in danger. Above all, there is a need to restore peace to the country so that the Nicaraguan people can resolve these issues for themselves. And a piece from the Mint Press News has these facts about Nicaragua. Uh, this is called The Threat of a Good Example. In Noam Chomsky's words, Nicaragua poses the, a threat of a good example to the U.S. empire. Since Ortega's return election victory in 2006, Nicaragua has achieved the following, according to NSCAG, despite being the no second poorest country in the hemisphere. The second highest economic growth rates and most stable economy in Central America, the only country in the region producing 90% of the food it consumes, poverty and extreme poverty halved, a country with the greatest reduction of extreme poverty, reaching the UN Millennium Development Goal of cutting malnutrition by half, free basic health care and education, illiteracy virtually eliminated down from 36% in 2006, Average economic growth of 5.2% for the past five years. Safest country in Central America, with one of the lowest crime rates in Latin America. The highest level of gender equality in the Americas did not contribute to the migrant exodus to the U.S., unlike neighboring Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. And that's really, really important as our current administration blames so much on these uh, immigrants desperately fleeing their horrible situations in their home countries. In some of those countries in Central America, like Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala, are the places that these 
significant numbers of refugees are fleeing. Nicaragua has not been, that has not been the case for Nicaragua. Uh, and unlike its neighbors, it's kept out the drug cartels and pioneered community policing. And that's what big reason why uh, Nicaragua is a uh, is the safest country in Central America, according to the UN Development Program. Well, a little bit more on Nicaragua and the media's uh, portrayal of what's happening there. But this podcast is about music, right? Hell yes, it is. After the Sandinista uh, revolution overthrew Somoza, and as the U.S. Contra War there started to rage. Bruce Coburn traveled to the area and he wrote about it and sang about it. This is off the album Stealing Fire. Here's Bruce Coburn with the song Nicaragua. Sandino vive en la 
Now Washington panics at you Two shots of Cuban-style latrines They peek from planes Eavesdrop from ships Voyeurs licking moistened Linda de mi querer, abonada con la bendita Nicaragua, sangre de Dirian Quien. Ay, Nicaragua, sos más dulcita que la mielita de Tamaga. Pira jura que ya sos libre Nicaragüita, yo te quiero mucho más. Pira jura que ya sos libre Nicaragüita, yo te quiero mucho más. La lucha continúa. And that was Billy Bragg off of his EP, The International. That was Nicaragua, Nicaraguita. Here's a letter that was signed by 20 or more people that was sent to The Guardian, an open letter to The Guardian on its wildly inaccurate coverage of Nicaragua. For the past three months, there has been a political crisis in Nicaragua with opposing forces not only confronting each other in the streets, but fighting a media war. The Guardian should be at the forefront of balanced and well-informed reporting of these events. Instead, despite plentiful evidence of opposition violence, almost all your 17 reports since mid-April blame Daniel Ortega's government for the majority of deaths that have occurred. One of your most recent articles leaves unchallenged an opposition claim that theirs is a, quote, totally peaceful struggle. Only one article gives significant space to the government version. Of events. While most of the recent violence is associated with opposition barricades erected across the country, you still refer to, quote, a wave of violence and repression by the government. Not once do you refer to the numerous deaths of government supporters or the 21 deaths and hundreds of injuries suffered by the police, including the killing of four policemen observing a, quote, peace demonstration on July 12. 
Nor did you report the only attack on a member of the National Dialogue set up to try to resolve the crisis when student leader Lionel Morales was shot and left for dead on June 12. He is a government supporter. Your report from Messiah failed to mention that the protesters had burned down public buildings, ransacked shops, and destroyed the homes of government officials. Nor did you record the kidnapping of hundreds of long-distance lorries and drivers who spent a month in effective captivity, despite efforts by their ambassadors and international mediators to secure their release. Your report of the shooting of a one-year-old boy, quote, the latest round of government repression, does not mention video evidence that he was killed by opposition youths. Several times you cite human right act, rights activists who are often long-standing government opponents. You unquestionably quote Amnesty International, even though their reports turn a blind eye to evidence, a blind eye to violence by protesters. You do not refer to detailed evidence that opposition groups benefit from millions of dollars in U.S. funding aimed at quote nurturing the Nicaraguan uprising. And this uh, letter continues for three more paragraphs of similar information. Nurturing the Nicaraguan uprising. Isn't that kind of meddling in another company's uh, government in order to disrupt that government? Hmm. Uh, I recently posted this article on Flipboard and was uh, met with a response by someone who said, I am a shop owner, and this letter is accurate. So someone from the area confirming the points and opinions written in this letter to The Guardian. So let's get back to the music. Uh, you heard this if you listened to the Clash episode, but it was perfect for this topic. So here off of the album Sandinista, this is The Clash singing Washington Bullets. Oh, mama, mama, look there. You should not playing in the street again. Don't you know what happened down there? A youth of 14 got shot down there. The cocaine guns jammed downtown. The killing clowns of blood money men. The shooting oh, Washington Bullets again. Cause every cell in Chile will tell the cries of the tortured men. Remember Allende in the days before, before the army came Please remember Victor Hara in the Santiago Stadium Those Washington bullets again And in the Bay of Pigs in 1961 A banner for the playboy in the Cuban sun For Castro is the color, is a redder than red Those Washington bullets want Castro dead For Castro is the color The new spray of lead Revolution in Nicaragua was 
Afghan rebel that the Moscow bullets missed Ask him what he thinks of voting communist Ask the Dalai Lama in the hills of Tibet How many months did the Chinese get In a war-torn swamp stopping him mercenary Check the British bullets in his armory Depends on endless men 
was Chumbawamba rounding out our set of songs about Nicaragua. And here are a few words from Noam Chomsky. This is off the album The New War on Terrorism, Fact and Fiction. This is called Freedom Fighters. That's the term that Reagan used about the Contra militants trying to overthrow the government of Nicaragua. Uh, this is, once again, Freedom Fighters and Terrorism. That brings us back to the question, what is terrorism? I've been assuming we understand it, but what is it? Well, there happen to be some easy answers to this. There is an official definition. You can find it in the U.S. Code or in U.S. Army manuals. A brief statement of it taken from a U.S. Army manual is fair enough, is that terror is the calculated use of violence or the threat of violence to attain political or religious ideological goals through intimidation, coercion, or instilling fear. That's terrorism. That's a fair enough definition. I think it's reasonable to accept that. The problem is it can't be accepted, because if you accept that, all the wrong consequences follow. Now, there is a major effort right now at the UN to try to develop a comprehensive treaty on terrorism. When Kofi Annan got the Nobel Prize. You'll notice he was reported as saying we should stop wasting time on this and really get down to it. But there's a problem. If you use the official definition of terrorism in the comprehensive treaty, you're going to get completely the wrong results. So that can't be done. In fact, it's even worse than that. If you take a look at the definition of low-intensity warfare, which is official U.S. policy, you find that it's a very close paraphrase of what I just read. In fact, low-intensity conflict is just another name for terrorism. That's why uh, all countries, as far as I know, call whatever horrendous acts they're carrying out counterterrorism. We happen to call it counterinsurgency or low-intensity conflict. So that's a serious problem. You can't use the actual definitions. You've got to carefully find a definition that doesn't have all the wrong consequences. There are some other problems. Uh, some of them came up in December 1987 at the peak of the first war on terrorism. That's when furor over the plague was peaking. And uh, the United Nations General Assembly passed a very strong resolution against terrorism, condemning the plague of, in the strongest terms, calling on every state to fight against it in every possible way. It uh, passed unanimously. One country, Honduras, abstained. Two votes against the usual two, United States and Israel. Why should the United States and Israel vote against a major resolution condemning terrorism in the strongest terms? In fact, pretty much the terms that the Reagan administration was using. Well, there's a reason. There was one paragraph in that long resolution which said that nothing in this resolution infringes on the rights of people 
struggling against racist and colonialist regimes or foreign military occupation to continue their resistance with the assistance of others, other states, states outside and their just cause. Well, the United States and Israel can't accept that. The main reason that they couldn't at the time was because of South Africa. South Africa was officially called an ally. There was a terrorist force in South Africa. It was called the African National Congress. They were a terrorist force, officially. South Africa, on contrast, was an ally. And uh, we certainly couldn't support actions by a terrorist group uh, struggling against a racist uh, regime. That would be impossible. And, of course, there's another one, uh, namely the Israeli-occupied territories, and now going into its 35th year, supported primarily by the United States, been blocking a diplomatic settlement for 30 years now, it still is, and you can't have that. There was another one at the time, Israel was occupying southern Lebanon and uh, was being combated by what the U.S. calls a terrorist force, Hezbollah, which in fact succeeded in driving Israel out of Lebanon. And you can't have a, allow uh, anyone to struggle against a uh, military occupation when it's one that we support. So therefore, the U.S. and Israel had to vote against the major U.N. resolution on terrorism. And I mentioned before that a U.S. vote against is essentially a veto, which is only half the story. It also vetoes it from history. So none of this was ever reported, and none of it appears in the annals of terrorism. You look at the scholarly work on terrorism and so on, nothing that I've just mentioned appears. The reason is it's got the wrong people holding the guns. You have to carefully hone the definitions and the scholarship and so on so that you come out with the right conclusions. Otherwise, it's not respectable scholarship and honorable journalism. These are some of the problems that are hampering the effort to develop a comprehensive treaty against terrorism. Maybe we should have an academic conference or something to try to see if you can figure out a way of defining terrorism uh, so that it comes out with just the right answers, not the wrong answers. That won't be easy. And on to our artist of the episode, the artist of the episode for this episode is Anti-Flag. Anti-Flag, uh, including the likes of Justin Sane and Pat Thetic. Love those stage names. Here is Pat Thetic. The General Strike, which was the name of an album of theirs, really didn't have too much to do with any of the lyrics to any particular song. But the idea and I haven't got the chance to talk about this in any of the other interviews I've done, is that the strike or the boycott are really the only tools the population has to fight against power. If you use violence, people in power always have more access to violence than the population does. So the only way of getting any type of change in the world is through withholding purchasing or withholding work. And the general strike is bringing that idea back because in the U.S. we haven't used strikes very much. The union movement is sort of dead, and I think it's time we bring that very powerful tool for social change back to the American political system. I think more money and more benefits is always a useful use of a strike. I think the only reason we have weekends and minimum wage and a 40-hour week is because people are willing to strike. So I think that the strike can be used for many things. It can be used for universal health care for all people. It can be used for the stop of a war. The release of prisoners in Guantanamo Bay for many of these things 
strike is a very powerful tool to get to any change that the population wants to happen. And here is Justin Sane. I want to leave people with the main point that we started this band with. It's the idea that people are not a color of skin or straight or gay or male or female or a nationality. We're human beings and we have to see each other in that way and treat each other accordingly. We just came home from Russia and we were there for about a week. It was really interesting to go to Russia at a time where we are constantly bombarded by our media here telling us that we should be afraid of Russia. When we were leaving the U.S. to head to Russia, so many people would say to me, be careful over there. And then we get there and we meet so many incredible people who are just like us. They want the same things. There are a lot of people who are just trying to make the world a better place. And sure, you can point to Russia and point to a lot of problems and oppression. But I would argue that we have a lot of the same things here. When it comes to politics and divisions that politicians try to put in place, they are all just political games. As average everyday citizens of this world, we have to be careful not to get sucked into the propaganda and rhetoric of our politicians. One of the main messages that we tried to put forward when we started this band was that our opinions are formed by a media conglomerate that is run by politicians and corporations that work hand in hand to inform the way we think and create divisions between us and the rest of the world. It's so important to not buy into the propaganda that they give us. It makes me laugh when I hear our news media talking about the Egyptian state-run media or the Russian state-run media, because the reality is that our media works hand-in-hand hand with our government all the time. They talk all the time about what kind of stories they are going to run, the candor in the stories, what they're going to include in the stories. The information that Edward Snowden leaked was a result of the fact that he couldn't get any media outlet in the United States to run it. They were having meetings with the White House, and the White House was saying, don't run it. So the reality is that our media, our corporations, our government are all interlinked. They're working for a purpose that is not the greater good of the world, or you, or me. They're out for their own ambitions and their own profit. It comes down to the fact that we have to remember to treat each other as human beings and work together to make this world a better place. Appropriately off their album, their system doesn't work for you. This is Anti-Flag with that title track. <laughs>
Young and Poor, that was off of the album The Underground Network. Here is more from Justin Sane. This is from DiscoveredMagazine.com. As a band, it is our mission to challenge people and ourselves to search for a moral center, to dig deep inside for outrage, compassion, and empathy. We ask people to care and, when possible, act, not because it's good for us personally, but because it is the right thing to do. Our goal is to put our community in the shoes of people who have less or next to nothing, the desperate, the suffering, the persecuted. It's our belief that until we can find empathy within ourselves as individuals, that we cannot progress as a society. We're not just singing about issues of political policy. We're singing about moral issues and asking the question, how do we want to be judged collectively as a society by future generations? These songs are a nod to the folk genre, what it stands for, and the inspiration it has given to us over many years through artists from Woody Guthrie, Phil Oakes, and Billy Bragg. If they come for you in the night, they will come for me in the morning. The chorus of I'll See You When the Wall Falls, one of the cornerstones we chase to include on America Reckoning, American Reckoning. This song is primarily a call to stand against the neo-fascist stylings of politicians in North America and beyond. When you see one group attacked, you cannot stand by idly because you are not considered part of the group under attack. We must take a united stand against this hideous, bigoted, hateful politics right now, today. There can be no wavering. You must choose a side. From the album American Fall, here is that song, When the Wall Falls. If they come for you in the night, they will come for me in the morning. If they come for you in the night, they will come for me in the morning. Oh, what the hell? 
New York Times If they come for you set of anti-flag songs that was off the compilation album liberation songs to benefit PETA that was bring out 
you're dead. And a lot of the, the uh, lyrics from When the Wall Falls, the song we heard just before Bring Out Your Dead, were adapted from this next song. Um, Justin Sane mentioned Phil Oaks in that quote that I read. This is Phil Oaks from his album Pleasures of the Harbor. This is outside of a small circle of friends. Outside the window, there's a woman being grabbed. They've dragged her to the bushes, and now she's being stabbed. Maybe we should call cops and try to stop the pain. But Monopoly is so much fun, I'd hate to blow the game. And I'm sure it wouldn't interest anybody outside of a small circle of friends. Yes, my back is getting stiff Thirteen cars have piled up there Hanging on a cliff Now maybe we should pull them back With our towing chain But we gotta move and we might get sued And it looks like it's gonna rain And I'm sure it wouldn't interest Anybody Outside of a small circle of friends Sweating in the ghetto with the colored and the poor The rats have joined the babies who are sleeping on the floor Now wouldn't it be a riot if they really blew their tops But they got too much already and besides we've got the cops And I'm sure it wouldn't interest anybody Outside of a small circle of friends There's a dirty paper using sex to make her sales The Supreme Court was so upset they sent him off to jail Maybe we should help the fiend and take away his fine But we're busy reading Playboy and the Sunday New York Times And I'm sure it wouldn't interest anybody Outside of a small circle of friends Smoking marijuana is more fun than drinking beer But a friend of ours was captured and they gave him 30 years Maybe we should raise our voices, ask somebody why But demonstrations are a drag, besides we're much too high And I'm sure it wouldn't interest anybody Outside of a small circle of friends And now she's being stabbed Maybe we should call the cops And try to stop the pain But Monopoly is so much fun I'd hate to blow the game And I'm sure it wouldn't interest Anybody Outside of a small circle of friends
that will just about wrap up this episode of Polyrical. Remember, you can email me at polyrical at gmail.com. You can follow at Polyrical on Twitter. You can support this podcast by making a monthly pledge or an one-time pledge at polyrical.com. Here is Holly Near off of And Still We Sing, The Outspoken Collection. This is Harriet Tubman. Thanks for listening. One night I dreamed I was in slavery About 1850 was a 